We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello and welcome everybody to episode 418 of the Pack-A-Day podcast. My name is Andy Herman. I am a writer and editor for Packer Report. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL and also find me on WFRV's Green Bay Nation every Wednesday night. Joining me today is a contributor and writer for Packers Wire. Uh, we are here to break down a 21-16 Packers victory over the Minnesota Vikings. My guest today is, of course, Jack Webford. Jack, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. Really like your work, really appreciate your work, and I'm excited to break down this game with you today. Happy to be talking with you, Andy. Yeah, it's always nice, too, and it's a big Packers victory. Again, 21-16 over the Minnesota Vikings, 2-0 to start the season, 2-0 in the division. I want to start right away, Jack, and just get your initial takeaways. What were your big things that you were kind of watching for or, or saw in this game that, that really stood out to you most? I think the, and I'm sure I'm not the only one in this camp here, but that first quarter brought me back to a place where Aaron Rodgers really hasn't been in quite a while. Um, the offense looked purposeful. You know, he was throwing on time in rhythm, which is something that I've said so much it's become cliche, but I've really liked to see it. And, you know, we've been wondering what the LaFleur offense is going to look like. And last week it, it kind of looked more McCarthy-ish, if, we're being, if I'm being honest. But this week when they went through that script in that first quarter, holy cow, you know, I was, I was blown away. And it was what I wrote about in my takeaways was more or less, you know, if they can operate like this consistently, and I think what they showed now, I don't expect 21 points every single quarter, but I think what they showed is quite reproducible in the sense that they had an effective ground game and they built off of that, which is exactly what LaFleur wanted. You know, they just needed to continue that a little bit more to step on the throats of the Vikings to kind of put them out of their misery. And, and I think they, uh, they, I don't know, I wouldn't say let up. They just couldn't put enough plays together to get, get that going. But that first quarter, I think, gave us a glimpse of just how tough this team could be to stop when they're, both, when they're clicking on both offense and defense with the personnel and the philosophies that they have going on both sides of the ball. Yeah, it's funny you use that word glimpse. That was literally the word I have written down here. It's a, it's we've seen now glimpses of what not only this offense can be, but what this defense can be. Um, 
And that, that was really my biggest takeaway, seeing it in person as well. Uh, there were some holds today on defense. We saw some big plays. We saw Minnesota take advantage of some of that uh, you know aggressiveness that Green Bay had. Uh, we didn't see the consistency on offense that I'm sure uh, a lot of people would have liked. Uh, but what we saw in that first quarter, exactly as you mentioned, uh, was a potent offense that had a plan. It matched tempo with rhythm, with spreading the ball around. Aaron Rodgers got rid of the ball quickly. It, it's everything that when people like Dusty Evely and Ben Fennell and all the great film experts have broken down some of the things that Matt LaFleur's offense wants to accomplish. We saw almost all of it in those first few drives when they immediately put up 21 points on the board. And you, there's a lot of what ifs in this game, and we're going to get to a lot of them. But it, had it not been for a Geronimo Allison fumble, that's that's at least three more points on the board. Had it not been for the most wonky third and one, fourth and one bizarro situation where Green Bay thought they had the first, they didn't. There's another at least three points right there. Now, again, uh, what ifs are what ifs and you can't count on those. But if you get those additional six points, I know it's early. I know things didn't fall apart or kind of fell apart a little bit later. But if this offense puts up 27 points, we've seen a defense that is going to win more often than not when the offense puts that type of production together. Uh, they've been fantastic, and there's a lot to like. Again, some things that uh, definitely need to be cleaned up. Matt LaFleur referenced it uh, in his postgame you know, uh, meeting with the team that this is a process. They have to continue to get better. They have to continue to do things consistently, but we've seen glimpses, and I'm 100% on board with you, Jack. I thought that was the biggest takeaway today. That's funny you say that because I have – I haven't clicked tweet yet, but I typed out that Rodgers admitted he misread that third one, third and one situations, thinking he had a first down, and it was a mental error. But if you add that in the fumble, we're looking at least, you know, a six to fourteen point swing on that score. So you know, there there were those missteps there that a lot of almosts, even on defense too, that really could have put this game uh, out of out of contention quite early, which is would have been really impressive. But what I think, you know, what you referenced with the floor, what I like to see is that incremental improvement. You know, Rogers said we have to increase the tempo. We have to improve that from last week. And I think, you know, for the most part, there was definitely an improvement. It wasn't perfect, but I don't think you're going to be perfect in week two, especially when September is basically the preseason now. So it, it's some, some very encouraging things on the offensive side of the football. Completely agree. And, and and that's the thing with, with today's day and age and, and today's NFL. Uh, a lot of these games, when you have two pretty evenly you know matched teams, there's going to be three or four of those what-if plays on, on both sides of the ball. You know, Minnesota had a couple chances. They had Stephon Diggs streaking late, you know, in, in the fourth quarter uh, when they were down, I think, only five points at that point, if I remember correctly. And uh, Kirk Cousins just flat overthrew him. You know, if, if that's a play that uh, Cousins put puts on him, uh, that, that's a totally different ball game. You you have the the difference with the Stefan Diggs penalty as well. Uh, Minnesota looked like they were going to go for two. Instead, they only kick the extra point, the long extra point. Tony Brown blocks it. There's going to be what ifs on most sides in 99.9% of the games that you watch. And if one or two of them go different, it's the difference between a win and a loss. But give Green Bay credit. They put enough plays together. The Kevin King interception was huge. And they got out of, out of Lambeau today with a very tough victory built on the back of a really impressive 21 to nothing start to the game 100 percent, and you know rogers talks about it all the time but the, those two fumbles or, or the, the geronimo allison fumble and, and then the rogers wasn't really his fault but the low snap fumble you know those were i can't remember off the top of my head i know allison i think was on the 30 yard line and then the other fumble i'm pretty sure was on the viking side of the field but those are just plays that you know they talk about protecting the football that you know, those what ifs, if, if they just hold on to those, you know, it's just a different game. But there's also, like you said, uh, Stefan Diggs, I think there's a little pop pass over the middle that I think he dropped. But, yep. you know, there was one player in the way of a touchdown right there. He was going and it's it's really a game of inches. And, and I want to call it luck. I think the Packers made a few more plays uh, through those through the entirety of the game. But it's, you know, it's good to see that they were able to finish and lean on that defense for the better part of the game to be able to close it out.
Yeah, we're absolutely on the same page there. Let's transition to the Packers offense. Again, we, we touched base on the fact, of course, they started 21-0 right away. Uh, Green Bay ends the day with 335 total yards of offense, only 191 passing yards, 144 rushing yards. Time of possession was great. They had 34.06 in time of possession. Uh, Rodgers ends the day 22 of 34, only 209 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, did lose that fumble. Again, you can uh, you know put blame on more, probably more the center there, but uh, had the fumble on the snap. Uh, Jones goes 23 for 116 and a touchdown, and Devontae ends the day. Seven catches, 106 yards, no touchdowns. That's just kind of some of the standouts from today, but on offense, what, what were some things? I know we already touched base on some of the, the creativity and the flow and the rhythm in the first part of that game, but uh, in the game as a whole, what did you see out of this offense? Well, first and foremost, I, I ran the numbers, and um, Aaron Jones was the, the more efficient running back between him and uh, and Delvin Cook. So I, I always try to do this whenever I have time, but uh, Joe Thomas defines running back efficiency as four yards per carry or a first down conversion or a touchdown. And uh, Jones was 65% efficient and Cook was only 57% efficient. You wouldn't think that if you just looked at the, at the box score because of that 75-yard run. But Green Bay was able to, to hold Cook uh, – and limit him when he was inside, but but Jones, which I think is really what Lafleur wants to do, he was he just has that natural feel. He has that natural vision to set up those blocks, and he's just tailor made for that that zone blocking scheme. And on so many runs, he was able to get the corner and get that eight nine yard chunk. And it just seemed like the offensive line was was playing really darn well. Even even the t- the tight ends were blocking; they were getting the edge. I was just, I had a lot of confidence in it. And so when they didn't get that third and one on that run, um, and I think they didn't get it on the fourth down, I was a little surprised, but I didn't hate the call either. You know, for as much respect as, as Aaron Rodgers deserves, they, they were winning the line of scrimmage early. So, you know, if they can keep that up and have, you know, a modicum of consistency in the running game, uh, they're going to be set up well through these next few games. Yeah, we finally had a chance to see what a little bit of that, you know, Matt LaFleur zone stretch running game looked like. Uh, they did a lot of toss plays, a lot of stretch plays. Uh, I, I thought it was impressive. The, the offensive tackles were able to kind of seal the edge a little bit. Uh, there were a couple plays where they actually got out to the corner, got to the edge, which is, is kind of rare to see in today's uh, day and age. And, and on the flip side, you know, you saw the Smiths really aggressively setting the edge and, and Delvin really had to work from inside, which, you know, to be fair, he did have some success doing. But uh, I thought it was a, a successful running game today and as time goes on that's just going to be something that's so key and so important to this offense we saw a couple bootlegs we saw a couple play action plays that are set up based off of that and uh, there are good analytics out there that of course say you don't necessarily need to have a good running game to have a good play action game but guess what it it doesn't hurt in any stretch of the imagination either Uh, and I think that was a a huge part of today and a huge huge reason they were able to control that time of possession and uh, and really get away with a win as well so some positive aspects. The, the the offense as a whole wasn't the most efficient, and certainly the, the passing game is a, a huge piece of that. I, I kind of feel like after two games, and this is completely premature, and we've seen some really nice flashes out of MBS so far. We had a touchdown out of Geronimo Allison that we got to see, but... I feel like this offense at the moment is a weapon short. It just seems like teams can key on Devonte a little bit in kind of some bigger situations. He still came through with some big catches today and some big moments, but it just kind of feels like it's Devonte and to an extent, Aaron Jones. And then it's just kind of some guys that are, are kind of cobbled together that are all nice pieces in and of themselves, but not necessarily a game changer gate or, you know, play in and play out or, or something that the defense necessarily has to worry about. And it, it's, you know, it's probably at the point in the season now where there's not a whole lot you can do about that. We've seen some signs of MBS maybe taking that mantle. I thought he had a really nice slant play to pick up a first down today. It's just things like that where it doesn't always have to be the deep ball to MBS. If he can come through consistently, with some big third down catches that's going to go a long way in uh, in helping in this regard but I do feel kind of so far like they do kind of feel a weapon short um, any thoughts on that at all yeah I, I, MVS dropped a I think he dropped a pretty key third down ball it was a tough it was a tough play but you know it's one of those that you probably have to come down with one of those that you kind of expect someone like Devonte Adams to come down with and I I do agree I've, I've 
I have that suspicion that they just they, they might be a little undermanned. Um, I'm optimistic in the sense that you know MVS is still a young kid. He's gonna get better. Rodgers will grow more trust with him. I don't have a lot of faith in the tight end group right now. Um, I I just don't think Jimmy Graham has it, um, and he's volatile to be nice as a blocker. Um, Mercedes Lewis is a nice player, but like we're looking at a lot of guys in the skill position set and you know outside of MVS it doesn't seem as you as you said it doesn't seem like they have that guy that you know if a team just throws their their second or third corner on that we can look at that as an obvious mismatch and exploit it but with that said I, I do think it's early um, I would give it a little bit more time me personally because um, based on what I saw last year from the guy I, I think he has a lot of physical talent that once it starts to click um, it could it could mean some big plays, but it, it could just be getting him involved and, and getting his feet wet a little bit more. But I, I definitely there should be. It, it's one of those things that we should put on our uh, on our radar to pay attention to. And I think you hit hit the nail on the head too with the tight end position group. It was a position group that stood out to me last week, not necessarily because it was a dominant performance by any any stretch of the imagination. You had, of course, Jimmy Graham have the uh, the lone touchdown of the game against the Bears. He had the big pass interference play at another play where he leaped over a defender. And and more importantly, I thought Matt Lafleur used the tight ends well, uh, using them really to what they do best. He used a lot of two tight end sets with with Lewis and Tanyan, and then used Graham more as a receiving tight. End. But again, I 100% agree with you today. Uh, those those personnel groupings and, and what the tight ends and, and how they were used in this offense didn't do a lot to, to scare the defense or generate a lot of consistency or uh, just flow within the offense either. And uh, I think there is some concern there. And I have maybe a, a, a slight sneaky suspicion that that injury to Jay Sternberger may have been a, a little bit bigger deal than maybe maybe we would have thought originally. And I understand that you know rookie tight ends don't necessarily come in this league and all of a sudden perform gangbusters. It's a really tough position. But as a straight move tight end, as a big receiver, I do think he had some talent. And I just think he brings something to the that that tight end group that the rest of the three don't have at the moment. And and I think losing him uh, may have may have lost a little bit of a weapon that they would have had there that, again, they just don't currently possess. So uh, I'm totally with you, I think, uh, on that tight end group. It's going to be tough to generate a lot of offense. I would like to see Robert Tanyan get a little bit more involved in the passing game, but that, that certainly has not been something that's come easy so far. Mm-hmm. 100%. All right, let's let's move along to the Packers defense. Uh, from a point standpoint, only 16 points allowed. You combine that with three points last week in in two full games against two tough NFC North you know opponents. I know it's just Mitch Trubisky and Kirk Cousins, but only 19 points allowed in two games. They did allow 421 yards of offense, 223 yards passing, 198 yards rushing. Cousins only finishes 14 of 32 with a touchdown and two interceptions. Uh, Delvin Cook, 20 carries, 157 yards and a touchdown. Adam Thielen, only five catches, 75 yards. Diggs, one for 49 and a touchdown. Uh, You had uh, Dean Lowry and Tremont Williams come up with fumble recoveries. Tremont was kind of, of course, on the lateral play, so a little bit of a garbage time fumble recovery there, but he gets credit nonetheless. Uh, Blake Martinez, 13 tackles. He was all over the place. Uh, Kenny Clark had the sack fumble, and then Preston Smith and Kevin King, of course, with interceptions. But what were your takeaways from the defense? (laughs) <laughs> what you look for in week two after that dominating performance is can they repeat it? And no, they, they didn't hold the team to you know three points or whatever it was, but it was they pretty much did what they did last week. You know, there were a lot of yards, but seventy-five of those came on a run where there was one guy that made a missed tackle and Dalvin Cook was free to go. And I know you can't throw away those big plays, but I also don't think as a as an offense that you can bank on 75-yard touchdowns. Um, and also the 49-yard touchdown pass to Diggs that um, Tremont, or not Tremont Williams, uh, Jair Alexander just let it go right through his hands. And uh, Darnell Savage also dropped one like that too, I think, in that same series. So, you know, this defense, um, it, it's uh, Jair Alexander is almost the perfect example. He's had so many plays, great plays, a lot of pass uh, broken up passes and everything he closes on the ball with great speed he tackles but those those turnovers that he is almost right there on he's just not getting those um in these first two weeks and i I think it's an indication that they're they're almost ready to to turn that page and they could be an elite unit 
when they start to do that with regularity. Um, but they were just kind of impressive. Uh, I, I think they had so many possessions to play against, and Minnesota was pretty successful running the football, and I think they wore them down towards the end there. But to uh, keep them in the game, um, Dean Lowry was – he had a, a, a really low-key, excellent game. He was partly responsible for that first uh, – a fumble with uh, Kenny Clark in the sense that he kind of bulldozed and freed up Clark to get to the, to get to uh, Kirk cousins on that one. And he also had a nice TFL, I think the a driver two later. He, so those two guys were just wreaking havoc in the middle and it was really cool to see our secondary just close space. I mean, it's really something to get excited about. They gave up plays. Obviously Minnesota's offense is, I, I think a lot, it's safe to say they're a lot better than Chicago's, but uh, they they replicated to a certain degree what they did last week. And I think, you know, that, that, that consistency is what I want to see. So I, I'm pretty excited about what we got to, uh, to watch today. Yeah. It, it comes down to, you know, always execution by the players. But if you look at this, this performance again by Mike Patton and how he put his players in position uh, to, to really succeed, there, there were a couple plays, as you mentioned, some dropped interceptions. Uh, and then there was also the the fumble where Darnell Savage forced the fumble and, and, you know, Green Bay just couldn't come up with it. But if you look at the big plays in this game, the Dalvin Cook big touchdown, right? Darnell Savage is, is one-on-one in the open field. More often than not, he's probably going to make that tackle give credit to Dalvin Cook dude's a beast he's absolutely an incredible football player he burst into the sideline he looks like a totally different player this year he looks 100% healthy he looks explosive but uh, from a coaching standpoint Darnell Savage is there in position to make a play if he can make a tackle in the open field it's it's maybe what a 25 30 ish yard run Um, and then your defense is in position still to go out and make a stop and hopefully bend but don't break on the like you said the touchdown to Diggs Jair Alexander right there you know with the opportunity to not only bat the ball away or not make it a touchdown, but really potentially come up with an interception as well. Um, You know, in the future, probably just maybe want to bat that ball down and do the sure thing. Uh, But again, from a coaching standpoint, uh, your position is in the right, your your players in the right position at the right time uh, just comes down to execution. Even the play uh, to Chad Beebe, you know, that that play is a millisecond away from becoming a sack. Things break down a little bit. It's a little bit of a fluky play. Again, give Minnesota credit and you can play the what if game uh, forever. And again, it comes down to execution. You have to go out and execute. The other team's paid to make these plays too. Uh, But from a coaching standpoint, I felt that this was another, you know, kind of masterclass in coaching. I thought that Mike Patton put his players consistently in a position to succeed. Uh, There were a few more gaps this week. And again, there were some plays that Minnesota had out there that they didn't make as well. Again, that, that big play to Diggs that he overthrew is probably the best example of that. Uh, but overall, I thought this was another example of, of Mike Patton putting his posi- players in a position to succeed. More often than not, they did. More often than not, they came up with big plays and turnovers. Uh, there were some a lot of yards to be had. Again, plus 400 uh, is something that they're going to have to work on. They're going to have to clean up some things there. But for the most part, it was a bend but don't break. And again, if it's just a tad bit better execution, which hopefully as the season goes on, that'll get better. Uh, I think this had the opportunity to be another another really uh, impressive, you know, low scoring performance by the defense. And I think had the offense really been able to consistently try to keep that a, a three possession game and had been able to put up some consistent points as well, I think it would have been, uh, you know, put Mike Patton in the position where he could have put a lot of his blitz pressures on, played a lot of sub packages and made Minnesota predictable uh, rather than, you know, Green Bay not you know being able to continue to put up points and Minnesota be able to keep in their base package which is where Green Bay's defense doesn't want to be yeah um the what I like is that uh they and this always when I was watching you know the Packers offense last couple years and it just you watch it you're like it just looks hard even when they're putting up yards it looks hard against other defenses yeah, they gave up a lot of yards, but it, it, it looked hard for Minnesota all game long to get a lot of those plays. And I think that's just a credit to Petten and the players being able to execute what their responsibilities are. You know, the players are always right around that ball. The, the window, he quarterbacks have to make tight window throws. Even if they're not getting home to the quarterback, the, co- the pocket is collapsing. You know, the, all of those things are kind of working in unison, and it just – it's exciting because I, I really think that as this team gets better, you know, that, that and having that defense to lean on, it, it's going to win them a lot of games. 
And and the the last thing I'll say, and I totally agree with you on that, is uh, kudos to this defense for keep firing back because uh, this was the five point game, and the and Minnesota was kind of rolling down the field. This is right before the interception to Kevin King. And uh, it was, it, it felt inevitable. It felt inevitable that Minnesota was going to go down and take the lead. They would have probably went for two. It would have either been a one point Minnesota lead or a three point Minnesota lead. And that it was going to be left in the offense's hands if they could go down and score points and, and try to try to get a victory that way. Uh, but Kevin King comes up with the big interception at green Bay. If, if memory serves correct, I think they go three and oh, you know, right at or three and out right after that. And Minnesota gets the ball back. I think they got it back two more times, whatever it was. Uh, there was a point in there that Green Bay looked gassed on defense and uh, they were having trouble tackling and Minnesota was going down the field and they just kept firing. They just kept fighting. They just kept coming up with plays and they ultimately did enough to to get off the field with only 16 points allowed and a, a huge, again, in-division victory to go 2-0. and Yep. It, I, I, I actually tweeted it out I right before the Kevin King interception. I said, this defense looks gas. And, you know, to your earlier comment, you're talking about running the, running the ball in the play action. You know, one thing that I think is hard to calculate is, is how, how much that running game can, can beat you up over a series of plays. And, and there are a lot of snaps for those Packers defenders. And I think they were feeling it towards the end there. So to step up and to make that play in such a crucial situation is really cool. Yep, totally agree. Uh, one of the things I wanted to touch base on a little bit more in depth, and, and we touched basic, uh, touch based on it a little bit on offense, was that fourth down confusion. So uh, to bring us back, we're at the end of the first half, and it's a third down play. Uh, Rodgers gets it out to Geronimo Allison, and it, where the ball was spotted, it looked like they were going to get a first down based on the spot, not based on the play. Uh, from the play, it looked like he was short, but based on the initial spot, it looked like they were going to award Geronimo Allison the first down. So Aaron Rodgers goes basically, you know, no huddle, uh, quick count, and uh, trying to get Minnesota kind of off guard. He had mentioned after the fact that this was, in fact, what he called a boneheaded decision or a boneheaded play by him. And, uh, you know, he said that he should have confirmed that they did, in fact, get the first down. His thinking on it was that it was a great spot for Green Bay and it, they were heading to or they were below two minutes. So he wanted to get a playoff before the two minutes or before the, you know, under two minute review came in from the booth and they would overturn it and it wouldn't be a first down anymore. So he goes quick huddle, snaps the ball, hands off to Aaron Jones. He was the first to say in the press conference, too, this is not the play that they would have called had they known it was fourth and inches. LaFleur said after the game they would have taken the points. They would have, in fact, kicked the field goal. Uh, It sounded like LaFleur knew it was fourth down, and Rodgers did not. And he did also mention in hindsight that he probably should have called a timeout, which I think is, is very safe to say at this point and in that scenario. I do think there is an extent where in that type of situation, if, if that he on the field, that Matt LaFleur trusts Rodgers on the field so much that he saw something that maybe that, that Matt LaFleur didn't. And in an under two minute, no huddle type situation, maybe he thought that Rodgers was going to go quick sneak, or maybe he thought that uh, the, the defense had 12 men on the field or something, because that's the same type of thing that Rodgers would do if there were 12 men on the field. So I, I can understand it from LaFleur's standpoint, when you have a veteran quarterback that really doesn't ever make any type of of mistake in that regard ever. He's always kind of in control of down and distance and what's going on. It was a totally bizarre, fluky, weird situation and scenario. Uh, I feel as, as Matt LaFleur mentioned, probably should have called a timeout, but what was your just, you know, feel after that play and anything you think they should have done differently? I mean, can we really fault Aaron Rodgers for assuming a level of incompetence on behalf of the referees? Right. I mean, yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I with all the context that we have now about it and the way you just laid it out, if I'm the coach sitting there, and I'm, of course, I'm like, what the heck is this guy doing? But like you said, uh, how many times are we watching it on TV and you see Rodgers getting up to the snap and throwing some crazy pass and it's only halfway through the play. You know, he's like, oh, there's probably 12 men on the field. You know, he sees that stuff so quickly, so automatically that you, you give him the benefit of the doubt there. And I think his, his hitting or his uh, batting average on those plays is, is is good enough to give him the benefit of the doubt there. Yeah, it sucked that they lost the three points, but I think this is more of a of, of kind of a freak accident. I think he took ownership of it right away, so it's not it's not going to become much of a thing during the week. Um, so long as that stuff it, it doesn't become 
a, a consistent issue, you know, I, I think it's much ado about nothing. Um, so it sucks, but you know, some of those mental mistakes do happen and, and, you know, Lafleur at least knows now that he has the wherewithal, he might have to intervene, but I, I think we can, we can give him a pass on this one. No, totally agree. I don't, I don't think it's necessarily uh, an egregious error by either. Just a, a weird, fluky situation that uh, I think they'll work on the communication on, you know, through the week just to make sure that that type of thing doesn't happen again, which I, I don't think it will. Um, you know, and, and the other thing that Matt LaFleur might have been thinking, too, is there's a very similar type of uh, situation that Green Bay goes into under two minutes where uh, they just try to draw, draw the other team off sides. If Green Bay burns a timeout there after they, uh, you know, run some clock down, it doesn't really hurt anything. They're probably not getting the ball back anyway. So LaFleur could have easily thought that, that Rodgers was going sugar huddle just to try to draw the opposing team off sides. And uh, had they done that, they would get the automatic first down. And it's just a, it's just a weird situation. Um, again, it was just Rogers not realizing that it was it was in fact uh, you know fourth down, and uh, of course it led to the turnover and, and kind of taking points off the board. It, it ended up looking like it was going to be a much worse scenario because. Uh, it would have made it a three-possession game if they would have got the field goal there, would have made it 17 points. They would have kicked off. Uh, probably wouldn't have been you know, a ton of time left, maybe a little bit over a minute. Uh, but on the flip side, Minnesota gets the ball. That's when they had the big Chad Beebe play, if, if memory serves correct. And uh, and they go down, and then they, they score a touchdown that gets reversed with the uh, offensive pass interference penalty, ends in a field goal, and, and ends up still being a two two-possession game rather than a seven-point game going into half. But just a, an odd situation, an odd series of events. But I think let's uh, move on to injuries. Of course, the big one is Raven Green. Uh, he goes off the field, looks to be uh, what we hope isn't, of course, a serious injury, but uh, looks carted off. It sounded like he not only had a walking boot, but it sounded like he had some sort of cart or aid or something uh, with him after the game. And then it also sounds like Darnell Savage was in a little bit of a walking boot, too, and he got hurt uh, on the last, very last play of the game is what I heard. I didn't see anything. Uh, that's based off of, I believe, Bill Huber's report. Um, but uh, yes, a couple of potential injuries to the safety position there what would you know what's the situation with green bay should those two be out and any uh any initial prognosis that you've seen at all on those two i haven't seen anything uh regarding either i it looked when i saw the video of raven green it looked like an like he got rolled up on on the ankle so i you know obviously if you're going to pick between the ankle and the knee you hope it's the ankle and you hope it's you know a, a sprain that hurts like hell and when it happens and heals up in a couple weeks. So, but, you know, judging by the way it was described, I think we can expect to miss Raven green for a few weeks, which really sucks because that guy's really worked his butt off to get to where he is. And he's, you know, a nice solid player for that defense. Uh, I do not want to see Darnell Savage not on the on the field for you know a, a, an extended period of time just because we've we've seen that show before you know Amos is obviously an upgrade over what they had last year but you know in the event that they have to throw like a Redmond in there or maybe I don't, I don't know if they would want to throw Jermon Williams in there and then put Josh Jackson in the slot um, to kind of maintain some you know, some of the, maybe they want to get what they think are the best players in there. But um, I really just hope that uh, Darnell Savage's thing is, is minor, you know, maybe he misses a few practices, but you know, they need him out there because that guy closes space and he's a, he's a big contributor to, to what the, what Petten wants to do on that defense. Yeah, the, the hope, of course, is that both end up being minor and, and hopefully both can be back sooner than later. Uh, it was interesting to me today that they went with Will Redmond at safety. They basically moved in sub packages. They moved Adrian Amos uh, into that Raven Green type role. He was kind of that nickel linebacker. And then they moved Will Redmond to safety and, and put him, uh, of course, uh, next to Darnell Savage. Um, you know, one nice thing that would be beneficial is if they could get Oren Burks back, if, of course, you know, Raven Green's going to be out. I cannot see this happening in any way, shape, or form, but the really weird, odd circumstance is probably the best player in the free agency pool right now that fits that Raven Green role is, of course, Josh Jones. Do not see that happening. It seems like both parties were very excited to, uh, you know, go in their different directions, but that being said... Uh, odder things have happened in the past. Josh Jones now realizes, 
okay, literally no other team is interested in my services. Green Bay realizes, okay, we have nobody else on the roster that really fits that Raven green role perfectly. Again, do I see it happening? No, I do not. I'd, I'd put it at less than 5%, uh, but it's a, it's an interesting scenario nonetheless. And then, of course, there's that Minka Fitzpatrick rumor, and it would very, very much surprise me if the asking price is a one-plus if, if Brian Gutekunst is willing to pay that type of uh, premium to go out and get Minka Fitzpatrick, if it all of a sudden ends up being like a second round pick, uh, maybe they're in that they're in that conversation a little bit. Uh, but I could easily see them taking a, a, a second round pick from maybe a team that's not as good as Green Bay. Who knows? It, it's all to say that hopefully uh, those two players are healthy and can get back sooner rather than later. If they're not, you would expect maybe some moves to be made. Or like you said, maybe there's more Trema, maybe there's more Josh Jackson, the more Tony Brown, more Will Redmond. It'll be worth keeping an eye on to see how they, they try to fill those gaps if, if either or both of those injuries do end up being serious. Yeah, when you went with Jones, I, until you said free agent, I thought you were going to start talking about Minka Fitzpatrick. Patrick. I was like, uh-oh. But yeah, yeah, I mean, those are, I think that gets everyone excited because it's a big name, but I, I just have a sneaking suspicion that that's going to, that the, the, the asking price for that would, would probably outweigh what, what the Packers would want to give up in this situation, but certainly something to monitor because the Packers do not want to have a, a leaky a leaky pipe on that back end. No, no, totally agree. And if there were to be a serious injury and knock on wood that this isn't the case, if there were to be a serious injury to both Raven Green and Darnell Savage, if both of them somehow suffered serious injuries, then that scenario to me becomes much more on the table because uh, they are definitely lacking in the safety department in that situation. And then you become a little bit perilously thin, at least maybe till Ibrahim Campbell comes back. And even then you're not looking at the same caliber player. Uh, And then, you know, should something happen to Adrian Amos, God forbid in that scenario, uh, you're down to basically end of 2018 or yeah end of 2018 Packers safety so uh, that would be the the scenario where things would have to open up a little bit more in that regards but uh, they're not you know Dolphins aren't the only team you know that would be open to trading players either and like I said there's some free agents out there they could discuss but hopefully it's all much 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 ado about nothing and and both players are okay and we don't even have to worry about that another interesting oh can I I add one thing on it the only thing I would I would I, I think you just you monitor it and if they keep stacking up wins I think that also raises the urgency, of, you know, sure. in the event that the because the way Gutekunst handled this offseason, this team is built for win now. Um, so I think they can reconcile perhaps paying a premium on a player that they like, had liked and then could have and then would would add greater depth to the roster. If that's Fitzpatrick or another team who's looking to offload a player, Um so you know if they can keep getting away with wins, but but you know that it's that stretch when they start to play a lot more road games later on, they're going to need that help. You know I think that's when you have to start seriously considering it as well. Great point. Great, great, great point. Uh, one of the other unique things about today, Lane Taylor and Elton Jenkins kind of had a little bit of a platoon going. Uh, we actually saw it in Buffalo a week ago, and of course, this is not the first time New England's done a little bit of this in the past as well. Uh, Cody Ford and Ty and Sege played right tackle and kind of were switching off last week. Not sure if that continued this week or not. Haven't had a chance to look at that, but more importantly, from a Packers standpoint, Lane Taylor and Elton Jenkins uh, kind of platoon at left guard. Uh, I didn't get a chance to see either of these players up, you know, up front. I, w- I rewatched the game after I got home on the condensed version. I know you saw it live, but haven't had a chance to dig in too much. Uh, I saw a couple plays where Lane, you know, kind of missed a couple blocks. I also saw a couple plays where he had uh, the really nice blocks on the, on the screen pass, screen pass uh, to Jamal Williams and the, the touchdown. Uh, he had a couple night or a, a big, nice block on that play. He also had a block uh, late in the game that when they were trying to seal away the victory on uh, Aaron Jones first down run, that uh, was very helpful as well. So I saw some positives, anything that you saw out of these two or where you expect them to go going forward i didn't see a ton from uh, elton jenkins i know I, I saw some like i saw ben fennel tweeting some clips out there i think on one of the touchdown runs that he had a nice block on there um i did see lane taylor get uh, kind of abused in a three-man against a three-man rush i think rogers he might have gotten sacked or he had to scramble and throw it away um but it seems that sometimes he can get caught off guard and just doesn't have quite the anchor that you would like, um, and it seems like when they get that interior pressure on Rodgers and he can't really flush the pocket like he wants to, um, it can create some problems. So, you know, if nothing else, it, it's a nice way to get, to kind of lower your risk for your rookie 
uh, guard and get him some experience, get him some uh, snaps in there. And, you know, hopefully over time that they can pass the baton and they feel a little bit more confident with Jenkins and the, and the mental side of it. Cause perhaps that they, when they're putting them in that they know um, with the personnel that they have in there, that the package of plays and the responsibilities perhaps might be a little bit smaller for him. Um, so that they can uh, attack those a little bit better. But, you know, the, the writing is basically on the wall. I think it's, it's Jenkins job in the future and, 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 but it's it's quite the competition. So you know, if this just means that both of them play better, you know, it's a win-win for the Packers. Yeah, it's definitely a matter of when, not if. This is going to be Jenkins' role at some point. Uh, Taylor's trying to do everything he can to stave him off. I get the feeling like Green Bay wants Jenkins to be the starter and just grab it by the horns and just be a dominant left guard and just kind of end it. Um, I don't know that Jenkins is quite there yet, at least not that much better. And it's probably a little bit of an awkward situation to Elaine Taylor as a, a you know a few year starter in this offense uh, may not be the happiest player on the bench all of a sudden. So I'm sure there's there's a little bit of monitoring to do there. I think this is a good a good middle ground. I really do. Elaine Taylor remains the starter. Uh, he still may you know kind of remains a, a integral part of this offense. I fully believe that this team is better at this point with Lane Taylor on the team, whether it's as a depth piece or as a starter, uh, than with him not on the team. So uh, I'm glad that they kept him into the season. Uh, but it, it's going to be Alton Jenkins probably. Just at, at some point and in the meantime this seems like a uh, like you said a, a very good medium uh, in between the two but we'll see how that uh, progresses going forward and I, I do fully expect Elton Jenkins to grab that at some point this season and just kind of keep it going forward. All right, uh, NFC North today, Bears and Lions both win. Uh, Packers are currently only one of nine teams that are 2-0, and and then the, the Eagles results still pending as we record this right now. Uh, Falcons are currently up 17-12 to at the start of the fourth quarter as we're recording, but uh, only nine teams at 2-0, and and of course the Packers are one of those. Uh, anything else that you noticed uh, across the league today? Bears got uh, really escaped with a victory against the Broncos, who of course are coming into Lambeau next week, but uh, kind of a, a bizarre day in the NFL a lot of things kind of went according to uh, what we kind of expected them to but any other takeaways yeah, I didn't get to see much of uh, the Detroit game you know when I'm watching uh, the Packers it restricts my red zone access so I don't get as much out there but you know looking at the score to uh, to beat the Chargers that's an that's an impressive win for the Lions, and it just seems like the NFC North uh, it's, it's going to be a tough division I you know even if the Lions are in the, the Lions, I think they're going to be a, a tougher out uh, from top to bottom. And the, and the Bears, I mean, they just, I don't know what they're going to do on offense, but I guess that's not our problem. So we'll let it be. But, uh, you know, they, they, they got lucky, but it was nice to see. And I guess you, you can kind of get a nice feel for, uh, you know, both the, the Broncos having played the Bears and the Bears fresh off that game. You could probably get a nice idea of what the Packers are going to want to do against Denver and what Denver might want to do against uh, Green Bay. Yeah, in Chicago, that defense is still very legit. Uh, they actually have a kicker now, which is new. Uh, you know, Panero hits a 50-plus yarder to uh, to win the game, which uh, to definitely don't think would have necessarily happened a season ago. Uh, but their offense has looked absolutely brutal through two games so far. So uh, until, that, until something changes there and until Mitch Trubisky uh, really takes a step forward or they figure something else out, uh, it's, it's tough to imagine them as a, a real serious threat uh, to, to a Super Bowl run at minimum, but uh, even potentially a division title if that offense can't get things figured out. But again, all of this is within the lens of it being very, very early in the season, and we're still only two weeks in, and we're still trying to gather a lot of information about all these teams. But uh, I agree with with what you said. This division still looks very, very tough. Uh, Minnesota walked over Atlanta last week and, and really presented quite a tough challenge, even though Green Bay had extra rest and was playing at home today. And I think Minnesota is going to take out a lot of teams going forward. I think that bears defense is going to shut down a ton of teams going forward and again Detroit gets a win against uh, the the Chargers and and I know they kind of choked away a little bit of a win against the the Cardinals last week but uh, still haven't lost so you know kudos to them there for that so tough division through and through and uh, again the the great thing Packers 2-0 on top of the division and as we speak one of only nine teams at 2-0. Real quick Jack what were your uh, you know what are your storylines looking ahead to the Broncos any matchups you're keeping an eye on 
still very early. We're still, you know, victory, uh, you know, Sunday night as we, we talk here. But anything that you're looking forward to and, and what Green Bay needs to do to try to beat the Broncos? Well, if I may interject, I just saw that uh, Damoski just tweeted about Darnell Savage. Um, and he said that the injury is not believed to be serious, that they'll do tests um, Monday to make sure, but they don't think it's a serious injury. So might have gotten away with one there. Um, so we'll uh, stop the podcast, just start it <laughs> over completely uh, fresh. Instead of editing that part out, we'll just start it all over. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I think it's it's kind of going to be a little bit like a Chicago, like almost this last week in the sense that I, I don't have a whole lot of faith in Joe Flacco if I'm a Broncos fan. You know, he's a statue in the pocket. He's got a strong arm, but he just he does, doesn't seem to get that get that offense going very much and he's prone to making a few mistakes so you know I think they'll be able to get to him um, I think their defense is good I don't you know I, it, it might be aging a little bit it might be decaying from its its peak you know a few years back uh, I don't know if he got one towards the end today but I don't think um, I don't think Von Miller has gotten a sack yet you know obviously a heck of a player same uh, he's he bookended with Nick Chubb on the other side so something I'll definitely be watching will be the the offensive tackles of the Packers with the the edge rushers of the Broncos because and again it's against a Vic Fangio defense with which Rodgers has traditionally always struggled with um, so you know it, it's it's another tough outing for the Packers offense and I think that if they can if they can jump to an early lead I have a lot of faith in the defense so long as they can remain somewhat healthy through this week to be able to uh, withhold the Broncos offense to the point that they'll, the, that they could start their season three. now. Yeah. David Bakhtiari and Brian Bulaga definitely going to earn their money through the first quarter of this season, uh, going from Khalil Mack and Leonard Floyd to Daniil Hunter and uh, Everson Griffin uh, next week to Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. And then uh, in game four against Brandon Graham and uh, uh, who am I forgetting? Uh, the other Eagles edge rusher all of a sudden. But anyway, uh, very talented edge rushers in Philadelphia too. So uh, it's going to be tough. Uh, and I think that's a huge key matchup is Chubb and uh, Von Miller next week. And then I, I do think, uh, you know, I think they're going to try to attack the the Packers in similar ways uh, that the Vikings did with Dalvin Cook uh, using Philip Lindsay as well. So I think he's going to be a, a huge stopping point. And it, it's not that different. Uh, you know, for week one, they wanted to make Trubisky, you know, throw the ball and stop the running game. Week two, I think they wanted to make Cousins throw the ball and stop the running game. They weren't as successful. Uh, and then week three, I think it's going to be make Flacco beat you and make sure that Lindsay can't run the ball successfully. So, uh, and, and as you mentioned, that Vic Fangio against Aaron Rodgers matchup is always one that is fun to watch. Packers open as eight and a half point favorites going into next week. So uh, Vegas has a lot of confidence in the Packers. I love the fact that the, you know, as much as I hate that the Bears won, I do think it's always tough to overcome a, a hangover like that when they really had the victory. They had the two point conversion. It felt like they were going to win. It's a, it's a awful roughing the passer call on Chubb uh, that sets them up in a position even to have that last uh, fourth down play and, and then to have the field goal go in and, and lose the game. Uh, that, that's a very, very tough way uh, to lose. And, and hopefully there's a little bit of a hangover there and Green Bay can take advantage of that and get off to a great start next week. And you know what, the Packers, for all the, the big storylines about the crowd, and uh, you were at the game, so you can speak to this more than I can, but um, and on the TV copy, they sound, it, it sounded loud there, and I think a lot of that has to do with the defense. It just they have something to be excited about, and I think that getting them in there, there's gonna there's gonna be a consistent energy. It's not like a one sided affair. You know, defense is the energetic side of the of the ball usually. So having that to cheer for when they're on the field is is should keep this this team, you know, firing and and ready to go. Because sometimes I, I I just have this feeling that. You know, when they play these teams that they think and know they should beat, that they don't might not bring that same level of energy. But, you know, I happen to think this defense might might bring it. Yeah, Green Bay did a good job with the atmosphere today. A few too many Vikings fans uh, for my liking uh, in general, but overall it was a really great atmosphere. It was loud, I, and I thought the fans did a great job of staying loud, even though you know the, the 21 points in this game came all early and there wasn't a ton to cheer after that. They still stayed involved, and in, especially on some of the big third downs, it was definitely really loud in there. And I do, I think this is, uh, it seems a little bit of a new era in that regards, that this is a team that is fully in, fully invested. Uh, the, it, it doesn't seem 
seem like they're going to take anyone for granted. And uh, I think that's good to see. And we're going to find out a lot next week. I know it's just Joe Flacco and a, a road uh, Broncos team. Again, Packers eight and a half point favorites. But uh, I think they're, I think they're going to take it seriously and uh, in a huge opportunity, huge, huge opportunity to get to three and oh. All right. Any other final thoughts today, Jack, before we wrap this up? No, it's it's good to be 2-0. and This is the exact start that, you know, this is the best start they could have asked for because I was anticipating, you know, a, a good start would have been 1-1. One one. So to leave, to go to bed tonight, uh, if you're the Packers, that 2-0 and is, is pretty much all you can ask for. 100% and, agree. And with, you know, all, relatively speaking, decent health. You know, they they haven't lost Rodgers or anything like that. You know, the Raven Green one hurts. I think Savage will be fine. But, you know, they seem to be getting escaping these with with their health intact. Yeah, this isn't a shot on Raven Green at all. If anyone's followed the podcast, I love Raven Green. I think he's a really versatile, uh, talented player. And I, I do think Green Bay is going to have a really tough time actually replacing him. But if you get through all of training camp and preseason and two regular season weeks and your two biggest injuries are really Equinemius St. Brown and Raven Green, uh, that is a massive win through and through. And like I said, that's not a that's not a hit on Green or Equinemius St. Brown at all. It just is what it is. This is a war of attrition and you've got to find a way to keep guys healthy healthy and uh so far they've they've pretty much done that so so kudos to this training staff and uh and everyone involved to, to try to keep this team healthy yep it's uh it's on to week three let's do it let's do it on to week three uh, before we uh let everyone go where can we find your work and follow you on twitter jack i contribute for the packers wire um you can follow that on twitter at the packers wire but you can also follow me directly at jack webfer um so if you go to the Packers Wire website, you'll probably see some of my stuff. I usually do the takeaways on Sundays. I'll watch some film and, and, and cut up some clips and throw those on there. I'll, I'll tweet some random stuff. So follow me on Twitter, and I'll see you there. Definitely make sure to do that. Jack does absolutely great work, and uh, he's a must-follow on Twitter. So go out and follow him on Twitter, at Jack Wepfer. Uh, you can follow me, at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast, at Packaday Podcast. Make sure to listen in tomorrow for Matt, Dan, and Janelle as they start getting ready for Broncos Packers. Uh, that does it for us today. Jack, thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, for all of you out there, your Green Bay Packers are 2-0. and But, of course, we always end the week. As always, Go Pack Go! Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.